I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Peter Raschuti, the Tulane business professor, founder of Birkin Road Reports, and host of the weekly show Out to Lunch on National Public Radio in New Orleans. Raschuti recently spoke to the New Orleans Chamber about the state of the local and national economy. Today, he'll talk about what the financial markets are telling us about the economy as summer 2022 turns to fall. Peter Raschuti, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rich, this is great. Okay, so earlier this year, the story was all about inflation uh, and a lot of worries. Now the narrative is changing a little bit. What are the financial markets telling us about the current state of the economy? I think the markets are telling us that we've seen peak inflation. Now, it's not saying that we won't have inflation, but the rate of growth of inflation uh, really is is going to keep coming down. And I think that's why the markets have held here, uh, why bond interest rates on the 10 years sort of look like they, they did before. And, uh, and I, I think that's all pretty encouraging. You know, the one thing about it, Rich, is the Fed – you know, maybe they were late coming to the party uh, in terms of raising interest rates, but it's been a year now since they started to do the smaller things like selling securities into the market, trying to absorb some money. So, they're you know, it wasn't like they uh, they just forgot about inflation. Right. They, <laughs> Can you explain something you said the other day? You you were talking about how the markets aren't the economy. What does that mean? Why is that important? Well, I think everybody thinks that you know that how the market uh, looks is is the way the economy is, but it's not. That's not really completely true. First of all, the market's about six to nine months ahead of the economy. And so, right. uh, which is why people, oh, like in a situation like today, you have people saying, oh, this got high inflation, you got all this, I want to get out. And the problem is of getting out of the market is you'll never get back in. You, you tend to say, well, when things get better, I'll get back in. And um, you don't. And then the rally just uh, really just takes off with it. Ouch. You know, Rich, the expression I like all the time is, in these uncertain economic times. And I think, when was it certain? You know, right, this right. is like... You know, so um, what's the state of energy, tourism, all of the things that drive us locally and that we care about locally? I think tourism is back, you know, there's no question about it. I think the city still needs to um, get some of its tourist infrastructure back in gear after being shut down for two years. But the energy business is really changing dramatically. And one of the things I'm saying is that we are no longer an oil state, we're an energy state. And... Uh, and I think that's good because I think the future for oil is kind of dim. I think we, you know, we got prices to shoot up to 130 and gradually it's come down. You know, one of the expressions they use is when it comes to oil or the price of the pump, it goes up like a rocket and comes down like a feather, you know. Right, it's right. So, but, uh, but you look at it, the alternative fuels are real that are coming in. You know, if you, if, what we need is more electricity. I mean, um, and a while, particularly when we start plugging our... Uh, you know, the cars into the house. And uh, so we look at what we need to make electricity. Oil doesn't make electricity. It's right. it's coal and natural gas and solar and, and wind. And we've got a pretty good picture in there because we have um, – we're the third largest producer of natural gas, which is which is terrific. We have other energy things going on. We've had a couple of guests on our show that are involved in um, uh, the offshore wind projects, you know, and they're going to take a while, but we're in – great shape with that we have all the infrastructure already built out there we have 
smart workers that work, used to work in the oil field. Um, we've also got carbon capture, which is, you know, basically taking carbon, which every, nobody wants, and uh, shoving it under the ground and right. um, in uh, old oil wells. And so that's, uh, that's a plus. And then I, the final thing is we have 14,000 abandoned, non-producing wells in the Gulf of Mexico. And by law, once they stop producing, you have to take them up and— you could swim down there, not that you could swim that far, and you would never <laughs> see that uh, there was a there was a rig or any operation right. there. And um, th- by law, they have to take them out. They have to P&A them, plug and abandon. But companies don't do it. They tend to sell off to a, a company that's about the size of you and me, Rich, and then right. we, we produce, I don't know, six barrels of oil and then declare bankruptcy. And right. But that's uh, that's got to change. And uh, so when you glue these all together— there's quite an energy future for us, but we have to. It's not going to look like it did before. When, when you're looking at it from the, the market's point of view, what kind of investment and activity are you seeing related to all that green energy? Let's call it. I, I, you're starting to see a lot of um, uh, conceptual work. I mean, one of the problems you see now is people say, "Well, all that ever hire as many people as as before," and I think that's still a that's still a question. But we really have forgotten that we have the the skills in this in this place, and uh, so and then he, the governor came up with a great. Uh, he basically worked on a, a hydrogen uh, project. It's such a wider s- uh, story now, and the thing is, when oil prices have gone up this high, first of all, stock prices are reflecting about a seventy dollar price of a barrel of oil. Uh, the other thing you see is the oil companies themselves. They're uh, first of all, they've invested tremendously in renewables so it's uh, they're believers too some people think oil demand will peak by 2030 but what's happened is uh, the oil companies they need to replenish the amount of oil that they're uh, they're selling and so there's uh, uh, otherwise it's a self-liquidating asset I mean you end up with pay a bunch of dividends and it's all gone so um, what they're doing and what they're not doing is they're Drilling up in West Texas and the shale properties, these are wells that don't cost a lot to drill. They can do them very quickly because they're looking for something that will return investment at the front end. And uh, particularly not so much the oil companies, but these private equity people who thought they had been totally wiped out and wake up. You know, they've really gotten into prayer now because they can't believe how much (laughs) money they've they've been able to make. But it it is a windfall, though. And so that's what they're doing. Those wells... uh, come up quickly they produce in a great way for 18 months and then fall off completely and then you have to keep so like gerbil on a treadmill but what they're not doing is they're not uh, drilling in for instance the deep waters of the gulf of mexico those are those are wells that by the time between you get it get the lease and when you get it to the refinery it's five to ten years well no they have confidence in what oil is today right i mean can you imagine spending a billion dollars to you know to produce something that in five years, ten years, you don't know if it's going to be at a dollar a barrel, three hundred dollars a barrel. I think you could when the wildcatters ran things, but now it's all run by MBAs, so it's um, <laughs> that kind of equation isn't really working with them. Right. <laughs> so for those who don't know, can you explain Berkner Report and and how it is that you've been keeping track of all this for so many years? Well, we started in '93, uh, and I was working for the state treasurer's office. I managed all the state's money up there for about five or six years, and. Uh, so a lot of people would come to me, uh, constituents would ask, do you have any research on, or do you know where I could get research on this Louisiana-based public company? Right. And there wasn't any. And I had, you know, I had $3 billion under management, so everybody would 
answer the phone and try right. to help me, but there wasn't anything. And I thought, and then I was teaching part-time at Tulane, and I saw these really, really, really smart kids that would really benefit from really getting their hands dirty. And I thought, this is kind of a marriage made in heaven. These companies have no coverage, and the students have nothing to work on like this. And so we created the, I, the most interesting thing is, is nobody's copied it. It's, um, it's very expensive to run. There's a ton of moving. I mean, nobody's copied it here or just it's anywhere. It's not a model all over. No, no, no school in the whole country has done huh. this. And I uh, can't believe it. And when I, um, you know, when I talk to other professors, uh, I guess, you know, I was in the business with Kidder Peabody for a number of years. And these professors, I guess they don't get it. Like I was talking to a professor from Cornell once. Yeah. And he said uh, that I talked to him for an hour. We were in the New York Times. So he called me and he says, that is an excellent model of now we wouldn't be following those local companies. We would be writing reports on Microsoft. And, and I thought. Microsoft has 90 analysts following yeah. it. This, you're missing the point here. Right. But uh, so, and these these companies are, are terrific. You know, the students see them and maybe they look boring or they're not very big, but they generally have good balance sheets. Right. They're uh, run by smart people that own a lot of the stock. Right. And um, I, I think these are better better buys. You know, we've had 59 companies bought out since we started. Wow. So wow. It's, it's just getting kind of crazy. Well, I was looking at uh, an, one of your uh, reports, uh, paper version of it from earlier this year, and you were talking about some some new entries on the report. We don't have a lot of publicly traded That's companies right. in the world. So wh where do you get your new entries? Are they statewide? I mean, talk oh, about that a little bit. Yeah, oh, and that's true. I mean, Louisiana has, it just keeps shrinking the number of publicly traded companies. It's a... Uh, you know, whereas if we did Birken Road reports, I sometimes say if we if we were out of Dallas, we could do the whole thing with bicycles. But right, um, right, right. But, uh, so, <laughs> so so we go uh, from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, and we fly the students out to spend the day with the CEO and CFO, and we have these amazing site visits. You know, we've been to taking helicopters to offshore oil rigs, oh, wow. we've gone to steel mills, chicken processing plants. Wow. We've uh, a um, Sure, that's emotionally disturbing for students, but you know it's uh, the, yeah. you want to see it. You that's gotta, right. Yeah, it makes for a good story during an interview. Right. If you're going to eat it or invest in it, you should see how it gets done, right? Um, but so, so who did you have some new entries of note that we should mention? Yeah, the um, first of all, some of our old ones are looking pretty interesting, like um, a company over in Covington, Global Star. You know, yeah. it's been all over the board. They make they have these low orbit satellites for for data and voice, and uh, um, they're finally getting it together i mean the world is starting to realize that uh they need they need these and uh so that, that you know that could really really take off it's probably about two dollars a share right now um we've had a another company called uh, uh we have a couple of companies that are plays on climate change right. in a I hate to say it but in a kind of a uh negative way but what we have a company called uh great lakes uh dredge and dock okay. you know and then like when a storm hits you know you've got to rebuild all those you know the the, the port and right. everything else. Uh, uh, Orion Group does the same thing. They're out of Houston. Um, by the way, Great Lakes Dredge and Dock is actually headquartered in Houston now. Although it would seem like, wow, that's great. They've right. they now cover Wisconsin. But um, they, it's, <laughs> but yeah, there there's companies, uh, and they just it's just amazing to me is how many companies, good companies, have no coverage. Right. You know, we get sometimes we go to a place and a uh, company and they have a big sign, Welcome Birken Road Analysts. And you know, inside they're saying, uh, They're almost here, get the donuts. Nobody's visited in like five years. <laughs> we'll have the red carpet and everything yeah. else. But you'd, you'd mentioned a couple to me. You helped us when we were researching our New Orleans 500 book. And I, I was trying to get as many uh, 
companies that make a thing, you know, manufacturers or, or publicly traded companies as possible on there. And I, there were some people I didn't know about, such as the folks up in um, what near Gonzalez that make the um, oh the baby it, products. Yeah. Oh my God, that's one of my favorite, and it's also one of the ones when I assign it, the students uh, hate the most because it's <laughs> like, oh my God, you know, you're gonna, a company that's the largest maker of baby bits. Right. Uh, right. You know, one is the, one guy I gave it to was my son's roommate, and he goes. I, th I thought I had an in, and I got the worst one. <laughs> but, you know, this is fascinating. You know, uh, we've gone up to visit. Uh, remember, remember we went up to see Mr. Chestnut, the CEO, and one of the, st the students said, this is what we're using for our model is, is your business is based on the rate of U.S. births. And, um, and the CEO said, that's not it. And, uh, and I'm thinking, wow, it's not it. And he goes, no, it's the rate of U.S. first births because by the time uh, you get to the right. second and third kid, <laughs> Using the same bib used on the first. You find the five things you actually needed, and you got oh, rid of all the other stuff. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. Okay, so um, but those guys are doing fine. Going, yeah, yeah, they're uh, they are very very clean balance sheet, and uh, um, uh, one of the issues they face is that we're at a thirty eight year low of making babies. Oh wow, um, yeah, and uh, which um, I thought with pandemic that would actually pick up because there was so little to do but that's not that <laughs> apparently i was wrong on that one too. everyone just looked at their phones or netflix the entire time yeah that's what it was <laughs> apparently you know again talk about crown crafts again they um you learn things that may not show up on the balance sheet but one of the things i loved is we always ask every company what's the biggest mistake you've ever made right and uh first of all if they say they haven't just run because everybody's right. but they said you know it didn't cost a ton of money but we bought um, we saw all these people moving from Mexico and Honduras to the United States and such. So we said, we're going to buy the rights to this, those uh, cartoon characters from there and, uh, and put them on the bibs and the baby furniture and all that stuff. And uh, they, they, they said it was totally a wasted amount of money because wow. when people come to America, they want to be Americans. Right. So they wanted Bugs Bunny and SpongeBob. But the students, you can just see the light bulb going off right. when they when they meet these companies absolutely absolutely well speaking of which you've spent a lot of time doing what i'm doing right now which is asking people questions on the radio and uh i know you've met hundreds of entrepreneurs and new business leaders in new orleans tell me a little bit about what that experience has taught you about entrepreneurship in general and just the state of that here in new orleans I, the big thing is that I'm the most optimistic guy in the city because, you know, I've had 900 of these people uh, on the show, and they're very smart. They're usually quite young, and I just found this. I was just goofing around with this, but about three quarters of them aren't from here. Right. They uh, came in, and uh, and entrepreneurship is the really the only hope for New Orleans. I don't mean it in a uh, dire sense, but it's tough to get companies to uh, move their operations here. We're I know this sounds terrible, but we're weird, you know, and, <laughs> you know, which is why we live here. And then, you know, we have a different set of laws and counties are parents. They're right. looking for cookie cutter places okay. to put their uh, put their things. We had a, a gentleman on the show was with a big company that had moved here. And I just I just think of this all the time it was before the show. And the only job of the host, as you would know, is um, to loosen up the guests. Right. And so I said to him, I said, uh, he'd only been to New Orleans about two months. I said, well. You're in New Orleans. It is a city of characters. <laughs> and he said, yes, we have found great diversity within the workforce. And I thought, oh. that's not what I meant. And, uh, <laughs> oh, no. The ro corporate robot. Yes, right. Um, but right. So you're saying, but if, if you have these entrepreneurs that are generating ideas from the ground yep. up, that Oh, and this transforms. year has been amazing. We had three companies get bought out for a total of... Uh, uh, about uh, two point one million dollars. Oh. Two, I'm sorry, two point one billion dollars. Right. And um, you know, it's just um, 
it's just amazing. They're start- and this is how San Francisco got started, is they develop companies, and then the founders get a lot of money, and usually they go home for about a week, and then their wives tell them to get the heck out. And uh, you know that old Southern adage is, uh, I married you for better, I married you for worse, but I didn't marry you for lunch. And, so, <laughs> and these guys have, these men and women have six or seven ideas, other ideas right. in there. And you can see it when you're interviewing them. That, uh, and they've all had, this is the funny part, is my producer when we started the show said, you know what, this isn't going to go well because you're such a nice guy, Peter, and you've got to ask them about their failures. And it wasn't like that at all. They couldn't wait to talk Uh, about their failures. And uh, so once they get a lot of money, they start spreading it out. They have new ideas. They start spreading out in the entrepreneurial community. And then you really start to get traction. So that's where we are right now. I know there's a lot of enthusiasm after 2021's exits that the the Scott Wolfs and the Patrick Comers of the world, uh, all, all... all the rewards from those exits are going to help generate more. They really are, and um, and it's very exciting. There's all these. Um, plus, we're starting to get some VC money in here, and that was what was always missing. We had creative people, but if they um, if they had good idea, they had to take it somewhere else, right. like California or such. Right. Understood. Now, I wanted to think back about your speech the other day uh, to ask you about two things you said that were really interesting. One is that oftentimes in the national economy, when the perception is that things are the worst, is when things are actually, the stock market is making the most money. Can you explain that strange phenomenon? Well, that's, uh, investors are getting ahead of it, and that's what they've, they've got to do uh, to make money. If they wait for the actual there's a this expression that Warren Buffett uses, which is uh, you pay a high price for a cheery consensus, and, uh, <laughs> and it really it really is true. We, um, I have found that uh, when I'm uh, when I'm at a cocktail party or a crawfish boil, and I tell people I'm buying stocks or a particular stock, uh, and they just you know they tell me something like, "Oh, I'm going to freshen my drink. I'll be right back," and um, <laughs> and they never come back. <laughs> That that's a good that's a really good sign. But if everybody's telling me that they're you know buying stocks hand over fist, or right, right. and of course people are hardwired to lose money. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, after the last two years, whenever I'm giving a talk, people come up to me. The usual two things are, do you know any weed stocks? That's the first one. <laughs> okay, right. Of and then and of course uh, Bitcoin and the rest of crypto. And thing you don't make money when everybody's talking about right, something. Um, right. You know, uh, our ideas are. The companies seem boring, um, but, and, you know, we've had 59 of them bought out. That's really the way to go, and it's also patience. So, you, right. know, you know, we'll hold us, we follow these companies forever, and, um, you know, I'm making these students come up with a 12-month target price. Where's that stock going to be? And they're incredulous, you know. It's, uh, it's like I had one guy tell me, he goes, uh, 12 months, that's like four girlfriends from now. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and they're tra- they have other classes, and, and, of course, they have a personal account. They're... They're trading things every ten seconds, right? And uh, but that's not the way to make money, right? But but so that that all leads to this sense that even though right now this year there's been a lot of gloom, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the stock market's going to be falling catastrophically. No, I don't. I don't think so. Earnings um, are quite good. Um, the other thing is is that both uh, both households and corporations are in really good shape financially they uh the, the households got a lot of money in the pandemic uh the companies also got a, got a lot of money and you can just see this turn coming uh with for instance manufacturing we don't um uh, i'm trying to think of the best way to put it is orders are coming in like crazy right. and these companies can't yet meet the demand because there's some part in china they can't you know put right. together but that's that's starting to loosen up the uh the 
those ships off the off Los Angeles, and uh, so it will it will come. And the other thing is, you know, frankly, bad news sells better than than good news, right. and uh, so I think uh, um, it's going to come. They're not going to ring a bell when it's over. That's the that's the funny part. Right, right. And then uh, I just wanted to ask you if you can put the 2022 malaise, let's call it, uh, in context of some of the other economic challenging moments we've had over the last few oh, decades. Yeah, and I've been doing this for uh, 42 years. I guess that when you go back to the uh, 70s, uh, late 70s, early 80s, that's when, that was the last time interest rates went up like that. That's when I started in the business. I still have some sort of PTSD from it. Right. And, uh, and uh, you know, mortgages were 18%. Um I'll give an example about that period, though, Rich. I, it was a time that just changed the way I looked about investments. Rates were through the roof. Market was terrible, and um, and nobody could. And but a situation where if you owned a home, um, you uh, might be outgrowing that home, but you had a six percent mortgage, and to get another house was we going to start like an eighteen percent right. mortgage. And we had an analyst talk to us up in Boston. And he said. Um, you know, what's happening here is people all over the country are having, you know, one spouse says to the other, it's like, if you don't paint this den, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the kids with you too. And, um, <laughs> and so, so every, he said, buy stock in Sherwin Williams. Right. Uh, we didn't have Home Depot or Lowe's back then. And the stock went from 14 to 44 in a wow. year because he was seeing something. Somebody would benefit in all, there's always a bull market somewhere. And to me, that was when the clouds parted and the, you know, and oh, oh, oh you know, and so, <laughs> and, uh, but you look at like, uh, you look at 2001, that, that recovery was pretty quick. Right. Oh, uh, oh, seven, oh, eight, oh, nine. That was, that took a while because the whole financial system was, uh, and this one, I mean, as bad as the pandemic was, it only lasted two months. Right. And then we grew too fast. Right. You know, so, uh, and people want to blame the Fed for pouring too much money into it, but and lowering rates. But you know, it was a pretty dire situation. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. I've got two more questions for you. First, you have a lot of jobs. You're a <laughs> teacher, a public speaker, investor, radio host. I'm curious what your personal pie chart looks like as far as the time you have to spend on all these things and the, <laughs> the attention you have to give to it and the time you have to give to it. Like, how how does this work for you in an average season? You know, as school year is kicking off and everything yeah it's um they're all related it's not like i own a chain of mexican restaurants somewhere you know it's so so it, that really helps and um and it and it helps uh break things up i would say probably a little over half is is teaching and then the, the show doesn't take too much time at all we have uh um takes an hour to record and three or four hours to to get ready for it and uh the public speaking is tough because you've got to do a lot of uh, flying. That's that's right. Kind of, like Downtime. I, like I was telling my wife, I can't believe how much they pay me for an hour. And she goes, "You're gone a day and a half." You know, it's like right. well, as you all know, it's the same situation. What's well, so, you know, rock stars? I say or some famous rock stars say they don't pay me to play the show; they pay me to carry heavy things through airports. You know, <laughs> they once asked Mick Jagger. They said, uh, "You've been." playing music for 50 years and he goes no we were just talking about this we've played music for four and a half years and we've been <laughs> yeah getting ready to play music yes yeah, exactly so, uh, but theoretically you can i don't know if you grade papers like, i don't know how that works in academia these days but you can do stuff while you're in the airport yeah, on the airplane that's really that's the big thing is you can work anytime you're awake and uh so people are so much more productive than they've there was no way i could have done that right uh, before before all this despite my 
technological problems. I, uh, <laughs> they, I can work the iPhone, which is good. Your so, renowned uh, technological prowess. <laughs> all right. So I was just curious about how, how, you, how you do it all. And then uh, my last question for you is the same one I ask everyone that I talk to, which is as you look at all the factors and you're thinking about this city that we love and our busted up streets and everything else, what makes you worried about New Orleans and what makes you optimistic since you're the most optimistic guy here? <laughs> <laughs> I worry that all that, um, all that stuff just gets so overwhelming that people leave, you know, the, the cars, uh, the potholes and, uh, still very uh, weak education system. Um, and the crime, cause the crime, I think the real place to invest money, I mean, for return for a town or a municipality or state is in early childhood education. And it's, and I think the math really shows it, but the problem is politically, um, if you vote for this and all that, you know, you need something to show your constituents to get reelected. And right. this isn't going to pay off for 15 or 20 years. Right. And uh, so I think that's, um, that's one of the problems. But I think the other thing on the plus side is we're the coolest place in the world. And uh, one of the reasons we're getting these young entrepreneurs is, you know, San Francisco's cool, Boston's cool, New York's cool, but they're really expensive places to live. And New Orleans is super hip. And uh, it's not that expensive. I know locals you know, have seen it much more expensive than they had. But when you look at the big picture, um, it's really an inexpensive uh, right. place to live. And, you know, I just, um, I, and I remember a lot of us felt uh, after Katrina, they went, we went other places. And uh, first of all, people weren't interested in keeping us. And, um, and they, <laughs> yeah, but they seemed pretty, pretty dull. And right. um, I, I just love it. And I think, and I, and I love Tulane, you know, I've taught there for 36 years. And, um, uh, to see these students, and I've taught 1,100 students that have gone into the investment business, which I think is what might keep me out of heaven. Really, it's um, <laughs> they. Uh, I think when I see St. Peter, he's going to go, right? God, you're a nice guy, and did all that. Oh, says here you trained 1,100 investment bankers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying no. I just need you to step to the side a little bit. Did you did you uh, create a cure for cancer? No. Okay, still, I think let's uh, see if we can balance this off. <laughs> right, but, right. But they're great, and they come back. You know, the great thing about teaching in New Orleans is you can get these alums to teach classes and everything else because I, I don't even finish the sentence when I call them and say, yes, I'll be there Friday. You know, it's right. I don't think that happens in South Bend, Indiana. Right. No. Well, it's probably a testament to you, of course. And then last last, last question. You mentioned at your speech the other day that – you know, people grumble about the you know the kids today, but when you look at your students, you see nothing but hope. Oh yeah, they are so much better than my generation. All the <laughs> all the boomers are saying, you know, oh, they're living in their parents' basement and saving up for a new tattoo. But <laughs> that's not what's happening. You know, one of the reasons Tulane is just oh just blowing the doors off every other school. We have forty five thousand applicants for eighteen hundred freshman slots. It's amazing. Is that we're the only school that has mandatory community service. And I, I think we do other things very well, but that's what this generation wants. I mean, when I was uh I just did the strangest exercise, Rich. Um I I, <laughs> I, I asked the students to turn in their resume yeah. and write their obituary. Oh wow. And um and I just really first of all some of them were pretty funny, but what I was getting at is to see those two documents and see how different they are like what you want to be remembered for, how important your family was, and all that. But I want to tell you something. Every one of them ended. Well, they all said, you know, I'm going to do well, make a lot of money. Every last paragraph was about philanthropy wow. and giving back. And my generation, I mean, I would have said I want to be rich, and then I want to 
live in the Bahamas and have young women feed me grapes or something like that. <laughs> this is a better group of people. Well, that's very inspiring. Peter Rashudi, great to talk to you. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.